Welcome back to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. I am your host, Doug Winters. Today we have a very interesting guest, Robert Severini. He is the director of events at the Wildlife Conservation Society, which includes the Central Park Zoo, the Bronx Zoo, the Prospect Park Zoo, the Queen Zoo, and the New York Aquarium, which is in Coney Island. Like so many of the guests I've had on the podcast, we had never met. As is often the case, I am delighted to report that one of the reasons I love this industry is that 10 minutes in, I felt like I was talking to an old friend. Just a quick public service announcement. Sarah and I waited online at the Dobbs Ferry Village Hall for three hours on Saturday to vote early. And I hope everybody else does too. Just, just a quick remarkable stat is that the average presidential election every four years barely gets 50% of the entire country's electorate to vote at all. Can you imagine if 100% of the people voted? Before I get off on a rant here, let me introduce you to Robert Severini, who officially owes me a guided tour of the shark exhibit in Coney Island. So enjoy, and as always, I will talk to you on the other side. I've been interviewing, for some reason, tons of planners and designers from David Beam and uh, Christina Matucci. And was, is it pronounced yeah. Nectar? Nectar, yeah. It was a, yeah. The future is the now. The future is now, yeah. And that was the first time I got to meet her. We've worked together. Obviously, David Beam does events at Central Park. Sure, but I've I'd never imagine. formally, I've never formally met her until then. And she was awesome. It was really cool meeting her and chatting with her for a short time. And I'm sure we'll reconnect again soon. But it was nice getting a... a of actual meeting with someone that you've kind of worked with in the past. So, Well, back before March, I would go to people's homes or offices, mm -hmm. uh, whichever they felt more comfortable. Like I went to Ron Ben Israel's because he has a bakery in the back. It's a, it's a great backdrop too, if you're doing the video portion as well. I started very casually. One of the first people I had was Harriet Katz. God rest her soul. I loved her. She was the Jewish mother I ever had. <laughs> And she's truly one of the legends in our, yeah. in our business, was. Yeah. And she just started talking and she's just opened up, telling me about her life. And she was so charming. Yeah. I had no idea she was sick. A couple of weeks later, she was done. But we developed a relationship. She gave me her cell number mm -hmm. and we would talk. I think she was like that with everybody. When you met her, you became part of the family. Yeah. She's really funny. She says, Doug, why aren't we working together? I said, you tell me. If she could, she would give to everybody. She would host parties so that everybody could work if she could. You know what I mean? Like, she was always like that, yeah. I just thought she was spectacular. Everyone that I've been talking to from Jose Rolon. He's amazing. He's come to our parties with them. And he's a, he's a passionate father. Tell everybody what his Instagram. I think it's NYC Gay Dad. I think Erica even talked about it. He, I think he lost a significant other. Yeah. And we always talk about single moms and kids and careers. But like... Watching the amount of work he puts into his social media presence, which is a lot of work. People forget that. Like a 30-second video could be three hours sometime. Balancing that part of his job with his event planning business, with traveling, with speaking engagements, with three kids, makes it, makes it work, though. God bless. Yeah. So you've got the most interesting career I've come across. I know you started as a busboy. I started in 1999, you know, in high school, needed a job. So you weren't planning on becoming a planner or a chef? Oh, 
for a lot of the people no. from Matucci to Ryan Hill to Bill Coyne. Theater, yep. Yeah. yeah I know, I a know lot of theater well. background. I, I think I was doing a little bit of 11th grade math, which is the part that I got, because when you're a music major in college, you don't have to take math. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I did have a good laugh when uh, you were talking to Erica, and she said, Q4, Q1. You're like, wait, Q what? And, she's like, <laughs> and you said, I went to music school, not business school. She, Q what? She, you're in charge of the Bronx Zoo, the Central Park Zoo, the Queen Zoo, the Prospect Park Zoo, and New York Aquarium, Coney Island. So those are the five properties that we're responsible for. What is your exact title? It's director of events, but so we actually have technically three event departments. No, of, of what specifically? It's the wildlife. Oh, so the Wildlife Conservation Society is who we work for. Wildlife Conservation Society is a global conservation society. It's a very interesting path because I did almost 10 years at a catering hall country club in Staten Island. So I started as a busboy. I worked my way up to major D. And by the time I left there, I had three college degrees. I was running two, three events at a time. And it was very cookie cutter. And now I'm a year or two out of college. And I'm like, I, I need the next step. What's the next step? Right. So when I was 24 and I started working for Robbins Wolf, we had an office in the meatpacking district. There was still butchers. Like I would walk around carcasses to get to the office. Like Rocky. Literally. Yeah. So I, I started working for them in 2008. And I remember my first day on the job, I show up in a full suit and Ken Wolf is laughing. He's like, you don't have to wear a suit to work. I was like, no, I'm, I have to go to two events tonight. And he's like, your first day, you're going to two events? I said, yeah, you know, got to jump in. We did the New York City Ballet Gala at Lincoln Center. Salvatore Ferragamo was like one of the sponsors. And I was like, this is crazy. So I'm coming from typical middle-class weddings. And the yeah. first day with Robin's Wolf, I'm inside Lincoln Center doing the New York City Ballet Gala. Salvatore Ferragamo is a name sponsor. <laughs> All the waiters are actors, dancers, models. I'm like, this is a whole new world. And then we left that party. But then we go to Angel Orson's and we're doing the Webby Awards after party. And I think it was the first year of the Webby Awards, maybe the second. Okay. I walk into Angel Orson's and I'm like, this place is different. Like you just never saw anything like that. Like, it's, it's an old temple, right? It's the oldest synagogue in New York city. Synagogue. Yeah. Yeah. 2011, I was still working for Robbins Wolf Culinart. So I was handling, I think that was Irene. We were in the Hamptons during Irene, which was a pretty big one too. Yeah, yeah, forget yeah. about that. Yeah. And then I went to elegant affairs in 12 and we got hit with Sandy <laughs> and I was doing, we were doing FEMA services and hospital services for FEMA but um, yeah, our, our, our aquarium location has been under construction for years now. It was great, like not only working for the, the society and it being a nonprofit and everything is great, but having this um, new product to sell, right? As a, it's still, I'm still in events, right? And it's still, yeah. it's exciting to be hosting because what we did was we had the opening in June. 18. June of 18, yep. So in September of 18, we hosted an event planners night out. And that's oh. where it was like, you saw the potential of, this this is it. This is an event space too, you know. Oh, oh, so all these people that I had on the podcast. Honestly, your whole interview list has probably been to one of our parties. The opening of the shark exhibit, which is great. We actually, you'd appreciate this. We rolled in, rolled a forty foot stage into the plaza, and we had a huge band performing in the middle of the plaza outside of the shark building. By the way, thanks for calling me. <laughs> <laughs> well, now 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 we know each exactly, other. See? Exactly. And then inside, one of my best friends is the manager of the string quartet. So I had this string quartet right next to the shark exhibits. It was just beautiful. We had Ryan Oaks on the rooftop doing up-close magic. Like, it was just a fun vibe because Coney Island is fun. We had the Coney Island Museum. We had sword swallowing. We had a yellow python snake. We had stilt walker. Like, 
it was a Coney Island experience. It rained that morning, but we said, you know what? We're going to go for it because we had a rain day. He said, we're going for it. It's going to be fine. We still had 400 people show up that night and the weather was perfect. So the people that showed up really appreciated it. And then fast forward, we did another event at Central Park last September. Right. And then in right. between those two, we did what we called a day at the zoo. We, we had everybody come play hooky first Tuesday of May in 19. And we had everybody cut out of work and come to the Bronx Zoo for a, an eight hour event. Literally, it was an eight hour now, event. When you say everybody, day. you mean? Event planners. Oh, event planners. Our okay. Our peers. Okay. Yep. So we, we host these events to show our peers, hey, look, just because it's a zoo doesn't mean it can't be elegant. Just because it's a zoo doesn't mean you can't do certain things. So when you talk about David Beam, yes, the Bronx Zoo and the aquarium, they have more of a destination feel. Mm -hmm. They're more, you're coming for that property, whether it be the zoo. Whereas Central Park is an amazing zoo. But when you go into Central Park Zoo, the architecture, the ambiance, the whole area is just phenomenal. It's gorgeous. The location's great. But when you have people like David Bean coming in, they're transforming that space. And when I tell you every event looks totally different, it's unbelievable. I asked a lot of people this and I finally got the answer. David Beam is a designer. Brian Raffinelli, who I just had on, is, is yeah, a, I, listen, a, I listened to that one. That was a great comment. That was really fun. I love listening to him because where his story begins and where it is, is amazing. And Caitlin uh, Donaldson, I was listening to her. I had a good laugh. You're the youngest person ever. And you sometimes you do forget that she's as young as she is. Because she's, she's 23 or 25. But she, she's a talent. She's a quick learner. She, she's you when you started. I wish. I actually, t- I paid her the best compliment I could think of. I was like, I was 10 years in at your age. And I didn't have anywhere near that much experience as she has at 25. You know how I met Caitlin? And I realized she must have been literally 21. Uh, is that I had interviewed Jennifer Zabinski. Uh, yeah, she had a few weddings with us at Central Park. Yeah, and Caitlin was like an assistant there. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'll give you a couple of names. And she, she gave me a couple of names of people that there's no way I'd have access to them. Yeah. And that's sort of the way the whole podcast thing has come. It's a, it's a referral thing. Bill Spinner introduced me to Norma Cohn. Norma Cohn, and I actually tell the story in her podcast, mm-hmm. is that when she finished, she picks up her phone. And she goes, Sylvia. I just met my new best friend, Doug Winters. He's got a podcast. You've got to do it. Another, another icon, yeah. Sure enough, the next week I was in Sylvia Weinstock's living room. Yeah. When I said to Raffinelli, I said, oh my God, a genuine icon. So she goes, no, Sylvia Weinstock's a genuine icon. I said, funny you should mention it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's amazing how many talented and amazing people we have. In there really show. are. A, a lot of planners will make the comparison of either a producer of a Broadway show, which makes total sense, because you hire a designer, you have the higher lighting, you hire music, you hire... um, And the designer is like the person who does the scenery. Production, right? Right. Yeah, Yeah. stage production. Designer is hired by the planner, right? Depends. Um, Or maybe it could be the other way around. Well, it depends largely because of social media now, right? Like if I'm a, a potential wedding you know, client and I'm on Instagram, I could see something posted by an event planner and say, that's beautiful and reach out to the event planner. But I might also be on David's website and say, that's beautiful. Recreate that for me. And he'll say, I can, who's your planner. Right. So it, right. it, it all depends. It took me a while to figure out that there was a difference. Yeah. I yeah. mean, a lot of people tend to find the planner first, mm-hmm. but it depends. I, I think I've seen it more in lines with budget, right? If you have a high budget, you usually go to a planner first. When you have a more modest budget, you try to do as much as you can yourself. 
to that point though, we all play different roles, you know, and like we're, we're a venue, but at two of our locations, we're actually a catering company as well. Whereas the other three, we're not. The four zoos and, and one, one aquarium. aquarium. Yep. Okay. And the New York Aquarium is in Brooklyn. Yep. Well, the New York Aquarium was originally in Battery Park. And I think it moved to Coney Island in like 54. But, you know, as a venue, sometimes we're the first place people find, right? Because you usually say, book your date, get a venue, and then go find everyone else. So a lot of times we get people, we're the first call. Other times, the planners bring us the people. Right. And they say, hey, we're helping them find a location. So it's, it's always very interesting when you come across a potential client because everybody does it differently. Everybody does their research differently. Everybody hires differently. So it's interesting. Um, Let me ask you a question. When I listened to you on another podcast, you said the story of this guy that thought he was going to ride in on an elephant. They were, they were, I think they were hoping for like this big, great story about like a crazy elephant or riding animals. And it was humorous because as a global conservation society, animal safety first, right? Like our entire mission is to take the learnings at our zoos and actually bring it into the wild, right? Like we're not just a zoo, like come check out the animals. We're actually educating people about them. We're researching and we're taking that learning into the field and doing actual field work in the Congo, saving species, reintroducing. Oh, no kidding. So it's a whole different level. You know, we like to talk about our aquarium being a 21st century aquarium because it's not just for entertainment education and inspiring people but it's actually taking those learnings and bringing it out to the actual wilderness we were talking about it and it was funny because for whatever reason the bronx zoo has a very large southeast asia demographic that loves getting married at the zoo so we you know we work with indian here i love indian food i can never reproduce it authentically the spices alone you have to have a kitchen full yeah exactly so we we used to um we used to get all these crazy requests. They want to come in on an elephant, come in on a horse, come on this. And it was just like, you can't bring in other animals. Like, it's just not. But here's the question. Was the story that you had a planner that you didn't know who promised the client that he could do that? And then you got there and said. That, that does, the things like that do happen. Because I think sometimes, whether it's the planner or the client or whomever, we are a cultural institution. We are animals first. You know, so like, we can't just build out a hoopah in the middle of the day. We have people walking through the park, right? You wouldn't just go into MoMA, the natural history, and start building in the middle of the museum, right? So, so it's animal safety, it's public experience, then like events is further down the road. So just trying to make sure that we educate everybody and inform them well in advance. Look, this is who we are. This is how it operates. You know, one of the biggest hurdles we had is the COI, because when we present our sample COI, Certi- uh, certificate okay. of insurance. Which we all have. Yep, it's just it's a million dollars yep. and then $2 million per occurrence. A lot of people will say, oh, but the standard's only 1 million, 2 million. And I say, well, our standard is 1 million, 2 million, 5 million. Because venues like ours and One World Trade and some of these bigger venues, we require a 5 or $10 million coverage. And a lot of vendors that haven't worked with us or a lot of planners will say, oh, I'm using my guy. Okay, does your guy have this insurance? Uh, I'll have to check. Did they read the 15-page guide that we have that informs them of the logistical hurdles just to get into the property? Like, imagine loading into the Central Park Zoo. The point is that I know what it's like to move a 10, 12-piece band anywhere. And this is why I always say I have such respect for what people like you or planners or designers, they're in charge of everything. If I'm only concerned with moving 12 human beings and their yeah. equipment and the sound system, yeah. imagine what... Well, imagine, imagine any kind of wedding at Central Park with a David Beam kind of roster to it, where we have a very small back lot, 
right? You got to deal with the New York City Parks Department and do cars there, but that's also the loading dock. So now we have to make sure that employees don't park in the spots and we can only do one truck at a time. Oh, and by the way, you have to be fully loaded in by 10 a.m. because we open to the public. You can't have your roadies wheeling carts through in the middle of the day. So it's a logistical little bit of craziness trying to get trucks in and out, be done by 10 and then have everybody off property by one o'clock when the park closes, one in the morning when the park closes. So it's like when I talked to Raffinelli, he was talking about building the glass tent in Fenway Park for the, for the owner of the Red Sox. And he said it's an eight day load in. Yeah, but something like that, they have the ability to give up that space for eight days. Whereas Central Park Zoo, you're in and out in one day. That's it. You have one day to get in, one day to get out. In June, in June, we have events every day. June, every day. Literally seven days a week. Six, easily, yeah. Sundays and Saturdays all through, usually, depending on wedding season. But yeah, imagine yeah. just like every day a car comes in, a car comes in, a car comes in. So one of the first things I did when I, when I started here, I fully exclusive with something different party rental. Because I was literally watching the first week in June, something different party rentals bringing eight foots out from their event at two in the morning. And then at 6 a.m., LTD was bringing six foots in. I'm like, this is crazy. They're literally just bringing their own tables in and out. So we want to basic rentals, like we're going in and out on different trucks because it was different companies. So we went exclusive with the rental company, which does help at least that part of it. Which, which company is that? Something different. Something different. And you know that there's a point person, yeah. like you are the point person at the place. You, you have a point person at the yeah. rental company. Yeah. But having that partnership also allows us a little more give and take too. Because there's so many things that could happen in Central yeah. Park. They could be shooting a movie. They could be- if, if you look, we've had a bunch of movies filmed there. You just, sometimes you, sometimes you don't realize and you watch a movie like, is that Central Park? You know? The only place I've ever been the house band was the Central Park Boathouse. Oh, great spot. I loved it. We must have done a hundred parties there. It was great. That was when it was really open. Yeah. People would come hang on the rocks and start dancing to our music and it was really hilarious. Yeah. I think people forget though, the Boathouse and what, what Tavern on the Green used to be. Like yeah. Central Park used to be intense it's slide down a little bit unfortunately and we're trying to get it back so tavern on the green and the central park boathouse they're not involved with you at all no right no those are i think those are contracted through uh new york city and the parks department okay all right so your title is i would say director of private events would be the best way to classify it mm -hmm. however we have an event marketing team that does amazing work they, they handle our ticketed events like brew at the zoo boo at the zoo holiday lights We'll, we'll assist them in whatever capacity they need. Mm -hmm. And then we have our, I like to call them the event fundraising team. They handle like our board of trustees, our high-end donors, our gala. That's a team that's just focused on the philanthropy side of events. Is there a worldwide conservation society and you're a part of it or you're all like connected fraternities? <laughs> uh, I would say connected fraternities, but we, we do compete. Right. So Wildlife Conservation Society, we raise tons of money and it goes out to the, you know, our mission of, you know, taking care of certain regions and then money to run the parks. World Wildlife Federation or Foundation, they don't have any parks there. So all their money goes right out into the field. So it could go to Brazil. It could go to any place with this need for wildlife conservation. Yeah, I think we're in 65 countries now. So we are just as global as they are. Um, they probably have bigger donations than we do. I think, um, you know, different marketing style, different fundraising style, but 
you know, they're a competitor, but at the end of the day, we do something with say the United Nations, they might be a part of it as well. Or if we do a documentary, they might be a part of it as well. It's kind of like our business, right? Like we're all friends, but we're all competitors. You have to compete for the business, but you also have the same missions. But you all have the same kind of ethos about animals and, and wildlife and I saw something recently about a certain number of acres burning in Brazil. Yeah, my wife is from Brazil. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, she's on top of that stuff. You know, oh, so you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it was like a staggering number, hundreds of acres or thousands of acres a, a day. Yeah, people don't realize that without the Brazilian rainforest, our entire system, I mean, the, the amount of fresh air that those trees produce alone, like not even talking about the animals in the Amazon and all the other circles of life stuff, but like just the trees, it's, it's incredible because it's such a large piece. There was, um, I don't know if you saw it, but it's on Netflix. I think it's David Attenborough. He's a wildlife guy. I would say he's more of like a journalist, but he's been around the world. He just put together this amazing documentary on Netflix. It was kind of his last push. And he's 94 years old. He's in great health. God bless his soul. He looks great. Basically showing how the world has changed since he started traveling it back in like 1950. And you see the population rising. The amount of wildlife from the 50s was like, I want to say the world was like 67% wildlife. And now it's like 40 the carbon emissions has gone up. The population has gone up. He said since the 50s, I think the globe has risen one degree Celsius or two degrees Celsius. That's a, Which sounds like nothing. But globally, but. that's, you know, it's a big deal. So whether you believe the global warming or not, because I know some people say it's all whatever, you, you can see things firsthand. Like you can just watch as a person and see rainforests are burning. Yeah. I never understand these people who say that you don't believe in science. It's like, wait a minute. What's, yeah. what's not to believe? Especially this, when you're watching with your own eyes and you're watching the change. Yeah. And you, and yeah. any of us that are friends yeah. in California, I mean, they're wildfires that are still burning. All right, so you're one of the good guys, right? Conservation of animals, you know, the rainforest. It's not Democrat or Republican. It's literally the world. It's science. It's what our children and grandchildren and the next, you know, five generations are going to... Yeah, I mean, I think that's... I, I don't get involved in politics. I don't like politics. And... Part of my pet peeve of politics is, especially now, blue or red, left or right. Everything was created for the better of the people. And instead, we're sitting on opposite sides fighting over it. And I forget who it was, but it was a congressman that said something like, Republicans want to win and Democrats want to be right. (laughs) The whole point of being a public servant is to provide a better life, the people you serve and their children and the generations after. And if you leave the place worse than it was, then what, what did you do for any of us? Well, the only political thing I would say is that given what you just said, I totally agree. And these past four years have been an anomaly. But I think what people have to know is that people like me, we literally cannot work by law. You're allowed 50 people. Originally, it was 20 people. Now it's 50 people, but you can't have dancing. Well, they, they screwed you guys on a few things. I don't know if you read the uh, liquor laws, right? It, you, 12 yeah. feet from patrons, can't sell ticketed music. You can't do concerts, right? Well, that's another thing. Concerts, yes. like Things like Coachella. It's not just weddings. You're not allowed to legally sell tickets to a musical performance right now. Well, I could sell tickets to dinner and have you perform as long as you're 12 feet away. So it's like... You know, and I think that's where people forget is we're in a really shitty situation, but those like ourselves that still have the ability to do something need to do something in a, like we're creating, 
whatever product and service we can within the guidelines that are given to us, because that's all the opportunity we have. And then trying to work with as many people as we can. But to your point, parts of our industry can't even go to work. But Anthony Girardi is an old friend. Who I, yeah, him and him and Jackie are doing great work with the New York, New Jersey live coach. Uh, Jacqueline Bernstein. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were both on the... Yeah, she was on the third paddle. But, you know, again, small industry. We all know each other. Did you hear her? I, I just watched it the other day. I finally got to watch it. Oh my God. She said she grew up on like food stamps, very humble beginnings. It's that great American story of rags to riches, like literally, but she's worked, she's worked her ass off for over 20 years. But then she talks about, you don't know what it's like to build a business from nothing and then have to furlough people who you brought on. Sound like her heart was breaking and it was very, very touching. And I call, that's when I called her and she says, I, I'd be delighted to be on the podcast to your business, it's harder because it's not that you failed. It's not that you made a mistake or you didn't run your business or you didn't work hard enough. It's you did everything you could and those outside threats are crushing your business. It's all outside your control. And I think that's the hardest part is it's literally outside of all of our control right now. And start and doing the podcast, I've been able to do like one a week. I'm doing two this week because because Bruce Russell from yeah. London. I was just so excited to get him on. It's like whenever you want to come on, it's great. But I usually do like one a week because it takes me a while to edit. Yeah, that. but that's good though because you want to make sure that the product is still the product you want. Oh, but yeah. I think you know to credit you, you're taking your free time and you're yeah. you're utilizing it to give back to our industry. You know, you're giving people like Anthony a platform to say, hey, we need support. This is how you support us. Go to this website. Right. You're giving the planners, you know, a place to share their story because sometimes we don't realize how much that inspires an 18-year-old kid. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know what these conversations are going to do when other people listen to it. So it's... Who knows? You know, you and I might end up working together and say, oh, yeah, that's right. We met, you know, back in October 20, you know. I'm, I'm all about... I'm, I'm probably one of the biggest networkers you've ever seen. Like, I just, I love to network. Really? I, I believe, but I believe in karma, right? Like, and I think that's going back to your conversation. I forget who you met, but somebody you met introduced you to like five people. Erica. I used to call it team Erica. She introduced me to everyone. But that's the thing though, is when you network with people, it's not because I need to know who you are and see how you'll yeah. better me. It's like down the road, someone's like, Hey, I need this. You know what? I met a guy, blah, blah, blah. When I tell people like, Oh, I have a whiskey sommelier they're like oh wait what whiskey sommelier <laughs> yeah met a guy he's a whiskey sommelier and then it's like i could use one of those you never know when something is gonna be useful yeah. or someone's product or service will be useful to someone else so it's but it's always fun meeting new people too and chatting but, you know like that's why i never turn down opportunities to do stuff like this because if i can educate people like i spoke at a nyu class last week and just seeing college students with a blank stare was humorous. <laughs> when they start asking you questions, you, you don't realize they're doing this over 20 years. Yeah. How much stuff we take for granted right. that people are like, wait, wait, say that again? How do you, and you're like, you forget who you're speaking with because we're used to speaking with veterans and now you're trying to educate a younger group and you're like, yeah, we have our niche yeah. and a lot of times we stay within that lane. You know, I love being out of my lane. And so I like to do a hundred things at once. So I'm always diving into a hundred different things and consuming as much knowledge as I can, as much information as I can. Because at the end of the day, you never know when it's going to be useful. Just, exactly. One of the big questions I had to ask you was that since you have five locations, where's your office? Technically, I work out of three different offices. Okay. Our main, so the Wildlife Conservation Society, our global headquarters mm -hmm. are at, at the Bronx Zoo. Oh, we've been here since 1899. Wildlife Conservation was 1894. 
five. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt was one of the. Oh no, kidding! Is that right? A lot of history, bad and good. I mean, we've we've made massive strides to change who we are. Wait, wasn't Theodore Roosevelt the one who was always hunting elephants? Which is yeah. So the irony of, but people people bring that up all the time. But it's the, the zoo was created to educate people. To educate, it wasn't just entertainment. It was to educate people on what else. Is up. Right. It wasn't a circus. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So the original Bronx Zoo, which is now Astor Court, those buildings are a hundred years old. The venue where we do our weddings was the original lion building built in like 1908. So when you get married at the Bronx Zoo, you literally get married in a building that's over 100 years old, but it's modernized because it's LEED gold certified, meaning it's all a green building. Which means what? L-E-E-D, LEED certified. So there's different tiers of LEED certification. It's basically how green is the building. Oh, conservation-wise. Yeah, like green, like uh, eco-friendly. Yeah. So to take a building that was hundred years old, you still have that beautiful architecture, the beautiful statues outside, the history, the stories, and then making it modern for a wedding and beautiful, but then also green friendly. So that's a cool part. So our global headquarters are here. The original Bronx Zoo is still where it was. Around that, we're 265 acres. Wow. So it's a big, it's a big property. All of our global offices are here. Oh, so you're there now. Yeah, this is, this is my Bronx office. Sometimes I go to the Central Park. We have an office in there. Our offices for our society are inside the Arsenal building on 65th and 5th. That's a great location to work, too, because you're in this other historical building and you're in the middle of Manhattan and you look out your window and it's Central Park Zoo. It's like it's a great place to work, too. And then I spend one or two days a week at the aquarium, mainly because I live close to there. So do you live in Brooklyn? Brooklyn, yeah. So after after working in the Hamptons for a while and living in Glen Cove in the Hamptons, I was like, I'm going back to Brooklyn. <laughs> That's how I ended up going from Elegant Affairs to Relish in Mott Haven, literally around the corner from Beam. GP's over there now too. They moved over to Mott Haven as well. Oh, no kidding. Great performances, yeah. They uh, they were in the, in the village. Yeah. I went in to interview one of my first mentors in the business, Ronnie David. Yeah. Who was working for GP. Yeah, he still is, right? Yeah. I haven't seen him. We had lunch last summer, but I haven't seen him in a while. Oh, so GP moved from the village to Brooklyn? Uh, no, uh, Mott Haven, Bronx. Mott Haven is the lowest, the most south. And all the way from like the Long Island Sound to the Hudson River. Yeah, it's wide. I too, mean, it's yeah. big. Because now you have all the, yeah. the new luxury apartments over by like the Throgs Neck and the, um, the other bridge that's over there. Which used to be Co-op, co-op city. city. Is it still Co-op City? I don't know. That's a good question. I know that that area has changed a lot, though. Trump took over the golf course over there a few years ago. That whole area has changed. But I mean, it's still the Bronx. The Bronx is very diverse. So, but your offices are actually inside of the zoo. Yeah, at the Central Park Zoo, at the Bronx Zoo, and then at the aquarium in Coney Island. So from Brooklyn to the Bronx, most days, it's, um, it's, you know what it is though? I always try to think of it in a positive, but like when I worked for Robbins Wolf and Elegant Affairs and Relish, those were off-premise catering companies, but you go to a hundred different places a, a year. So you're bouncing around wherever the client's bringing you to. Do you make your own hours? Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, obviously we all have someone we report to, whether it's a, a boss superior or client, right? We all yeah. report to somebody. It's not like I run the gates at the park. I don't need to be here when it opens and when it closes. Most, yeah. most of our business is off hours. Some days I have to come in for 18 hours. I don't think my boss is going to care if I work 6 a.m. to 12 a.m. The next day, maybe I come in at 10 and I leave at 4. And you balance it out because at the end of the day, the job has to get done. One of your earlier podcasts, you're talking about 
you know, separating work and mm-hmm. personal because now most people aren't at an office. Most people, Erica, she's like, and I'm laughing because we, we don't live far from her. And it's like, yeah, we live in a small Brooklyn apartment too. So it's like when we first got into this work at home right. situation, my wife's an attorney. She's on the phone doing her thing. And I'm on Zoom trying to do a meeting. Like my wife's coming, <laughs> turn the camera, like trying to, you know, and we're in this like 700 square foot Brooklyn apartment trying to make it work, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it's just, it's funny because a lot of people are saying they, they don't shut off now, right? Because they're at home, it's work. There's no work-life separation. And I kind of chuckle because I don't think I've ever had that personally. Like even when I'm off, I'm checking email or I'm going on LinkedIn to see who's doing what or who got a new job or who's doing what. I think most of our industry is like this, that this is our life. Like there's no on-off switch. Like if you're in the events industry, you're in the events industry. It's 24 hours a day. Exactly. To your point about the schedule though, like I love having the amount of freedom that I have. Obviously I have to be in meetings, right? We have tons of meetings. We're a big organization. I have to be Mm -hmm. responsible for certain things. But at the end of the day, I love the ability to show up when I need to, go home when I want. Because at the end of the day, if I left at two o'clock today, I'm still going to go home Mm -hmm. and probably work three, four hours on the computer, catch up on emails, take care of marketing, take care of branding. Oh, yeah. It's not like, oh, I'm leaving at two, my day's over. I'm leaving at two because I have to stop somewhere. And then when I get home, I'll get back online. I'll do So you have to love it. That's a universal theme in this podcast is that if you don't love it, you couldn't possibly do it. Yeah. No, and that's I, I when I had free time, I used to write articles on LinkedIn. And one of the articles that I wrote that actually did really well was um, basically like how to become an event planner, right? Like the first steps. And one of the things I emphasized on was like, you better make sure you love it because once you're in, like it's your life, like that's it. So make sure you're mentally prepared for that because it is long hours. It is very stressful. You know, people forget about the amount of stress that our job has. It's your life, yeah. And the things that I'm learning from the podcast, an event planner in Connecticut, Eileen Smith was saying that the number one thing that shuts off power in a tent is coffee pots. The 100 cup percolators from any rental company will literally shut down a Con Ed power plant. It's incredible how much power those things draw. Well, I was telling someone that story today. Why is that? Honestly, if anybody's listening, that is a product that needs innovation. We, as an industry, you, you had Jennifer Brisbane on. Like, I'm so thankful that somebody is trying to innovate our industry because we're so behind on the times. Yeah. Yep. Val. I loved her. She was wonderful. She was the first person that talked about being a very successful party planner and just loving tech. And taking, the, taking that experience and going, okay, we don't work well here. Oh, this is a silo. How do we make this more efficient? Yeah. Her explanation was like, we're all on Gmail. We're on a million apps, but they're not speaking to each other. And she was able to break it down to me like a six-year-old, <laughs> you yeah. know? And that's, but that's what we need. And going back to the percolators, they're the old school coffee percolators that like grandma used to use. And because they're so basic and they last forever, their power source is so simple. It's just like this heated coil that requires way too much power that anybody that doesn't know this, you can only plug one into any outlet. Like that's it. You plug in one, you walk away, go find another outlet. And most times you have to brew three or four of them. So where do you find three or four different outlets that are on different circuits? And unless somebody's super educated, they go, I'll put two here, I'll put two here. And then they flip the switch and the power just blows. First of all, I need you to ed- educate me about LinkedIn. Uh, that, that's a whole separate podcast. Because you're the first person I heard say, I live on LinkedIn. I, I think people undervalued it. When I think of LinkedIn, I think of people who are looking for jobs. Yeah, 10 years ago was that. It kind of is that more now because of the current situation. But I think people 
like everything, people use it differently. Okay. Yeah. I wrote another article about why I was disliking LinkedIn more in 2020 because you have people like Gary Vaynerchuk that started talking about LinkedIn is underrated. Now, who is Gary Vaynerchuk? Who's he's a an entrepreneur. He owns and operates many successful businesses, but he's also a social media presence. He talks to the younger generation, educates mm-hmm. them on you know who cares about money. You want to have a life of purpose. You want to be happy. Like, don't just work for money. Like, very. You notice that's always millionaires that say that. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a lot of content that's really good, but he he's a marketer, right? So at the end of the day, he wants to look for the undervalued attention. So like, Facebook ads got very expensive. Okay, let me move my money to Instagram because I can get a much better ROI on a dollar than I did on on Facebook because it's more expensive. So yeah. when he starts talking like this, and other people start talking like this, you get all these people shifting to LinkedIn. God's honest truth. I'd have to do the math one day, but between all the businesses I've worked for and ran, including, you know, small private stuff myself, millions of dollars of revenue because of the branding I put out there, the marketing, the information, the connections, just doing a favor. Hey, I'm out of a job. Can you help me out? People talk about branding. Yeah. Could you just fine tune that a little bit? Um, Because it's such a broad term. Going back to Gary Vaynerchuk, he says, the best way to describe branding is reputation. My brand is my reputation. Coca-Cola's brand is Coca-Cola's reputation. So like my brand is a little different than the zoo brand. We're selling a product and service that is this. I am mm-hmm. this. So I'm a little bit of this, but I'm also me. So we have the yeah. same but different brand in a way. So LinkedIn helps you define yourself? I think so. Depends on how you do it, right? So going back to the silly article I wrote because I was just annoyed, um, there's still that cold call approach like hey let's connect i have a band you should sell me here's my thing and i'm like buy a girl a drink first that's why i never networked it just felt so self-serving but if you're in a room that's meant for networking it's a different environment but also be mindful that you're in a room of professionals that are like you so don't assume that i need your services or product right right you're talking to other successful people Correct. So why not say, hey, nice to meet you. I saw your content. Looks great. Love everything you do and hope to talk soon. That's a, You plant the seed. You don't, you don't need to drop that, you know, let's go out for dinner right away. It's like, hey, I, I love what you're doing. Hey, that was a great post. Hey, now all of a sudden there's people on there that are doing it to me and I love it. Because right. I'm going, who is this person? And then you're like, oh, okay, they do that. Oh, okay. So now fast forward two months later and someone's like, hey, do you have a band? And you're sitting there going, you can't remember the names of all the bands you've worked with over the last few years. And then you're like, who's that guy that keeps hitting me up on LinkedIn? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because that, you know? And I always use the analogy of Coca-Cola because Coca-Cola is like literally the number one consumed beverage in the world besides right. like water and coffee. And besides Nike, maybe the most recognizable logo ever. Right. So Coca-Cola spends like two and a half billion a year on marketing and advertising. When you have most of the world knowing who you are, you'd think that you wouldn't have to, but they want to be in your face all the time. So when the time comes and you're like, I'm thirsty, they're front of mind all the time. And that's, that's branding, that's marketing, that's advertising. Like you don't have to cold call and pitch your services necessarily on LinkedIn, but you can develop relationships indirectly to what you're looking for. And then, you know, it's a slower process 
when I think of much better ROI. Well, what I was what I was really thinking about is in terms of the podcast system is really valuable content. Yeah. And I just wanted to introduce it to the entire world of planners that they should know that this exists and it's starting to gain some traction. But yeah, I mean, it's as easy as posting a 60 second video of you guys performing at a, at a wedding or, or a gala. If you have a song, right, you played a song during Erica's thing, right? It was very upbeat. Let's get the party going. You just posted something like Monday morning vibes. Let's get this week off to a great start, high energy. Let's, let's kick the week in the butt. And you had a real upbeat music to get everyone started. That's motivational. That's, hey, guys, it's Monday. Let's go. Let's rock. I'm ready. You're not saying book my band. Listen to the music we did because it's going to kickstart your week. Or it's a rainy day. Relax to this jazz brass ensemble and chill out to some rain music while you work. You're providing a service without asking them to buy your service. Or like having you and you talk about everything from the rainforest to having someone think they're going to ride in an elephant. It's definitely a unique venue when it comes to events, which is why we hosted these event planner parties, because I think we all know what we know, but we don't know what we don't know. And when you say, hey, book a wedding at the zoo, people go, uh, no, this is a million dollar client. What do you mean? And then when you show them, you know, it's elegant, it's sophisticated, it's historical. It's Then they go, oh, I never thought of doing this or... I didn't know the Bronx Zoo could be a high end for this kind of event, or I didn't know you could even do an eight-hour event at, at a zoo. Now they start going, oh, I can, I can do more with that, and I can sell that to my clients, or I want to do that because it looks fun, or I want, to, I want to do an event at the aquarium because I love sharks, or I want to do an event at Central Park because I want to give back to the conservation, so I want to be hosting events there. It's not a donation technically, but we do say smartly, we put it on our contracts and proposals and everything, but right under the subtotal, we do talk about how all the event proceeds do basically go back to our mission statement, right? Because that money is funneling back into the society. It's not a donation, but whatever profits our department makes, that's money that goes towards a great cause, right? I'm not making money for a business owner who goes, hey, you made me an extra million. Let me go get that new Range Rover we're making an extra million, it's going to whatever project it needs to go to. So many tragic things about endangered species. Is that big in the wildlife conservation world? Huge. You know, and I wish I was more educated on our conservation efforts, but honestly, there's so much. It's so hard to keep up, but that's why I love it because we have such a massive amount of people working on so many different projects. And one of the things we used to do, we, we didn't do it this year, obviously. It's the, it's called the Ivory Crush. It's a big... Ivory? Like... like Ivory Crush, yeah. Because what happens is you get the poachers in Africa taking the horns from the elephants. The concept of shooting a gigantic animal. But sometimes they don't even kill the animals. Oh, the horns. God. It feels a little like castration. Yeah, it is. And going to the shark exhibit, we do have a piece that we put in there that the senior leadership debated, should we put it in or not, because it's so graphic. And then they said, because they need to educate people, they decided to keep it in the exhibit. Shark finning for fin soup. They wouldn't kill the shark. They just fin it, keep the fin, and the shark would just sink. And it's horrible. But that's the kind of stuff that we have rangers and other people that try to protect these animals and stop these kinds of things. But then we also work with the politicians and and lawmakers in these regions to help change their laws so that taking ivory from an elephant is now a lifetime sentence. Wow. When I started in 17, one of the coolest things I heard was, and again, I'm not fully involved, but somebody's trying to build like a super highway through the Congo 
And our team was heavily involved in having this superhighway being built around the Congo, which was going to cost them like an extra couple of billion. So obviously they didn't want to do it. But we were able to protect that part of the Congo because I think it was where the elephants migrated through. And it was just going to be destroyed because they wanted to put a highway. And we were able to protect that piece and reroute the highway around. But we also helped, I'll say, reintroduce species that were on their way out. I don't know the names, but we had a few species that we were actually able to save and bring back into the wilderness. There's a couple of types of turtles, but like we have an exhibit that you could see like all the animals that did go extinct. There's real animals that are long gone and they'll never be back. So it's a great mission statement to be able to do events and have that be the end all goal. Like, hey, we did a great event. We did a fun event. We made some money. Now we can help our greater cause. This is what I was going to ask you. If you're talking about any of the companies we were just talking about, Relish, Robbins Wolf, it's a profit-based thing. Yeah, whether independent, family, or big corporation, it's profit-driven, yep. Your profits go to the organization? Yeah, we are the organization. The difference is we're a global nonprofit. So whatever profits, like we have restaurants, people buy hot dogs, people buy a ticket admission to come to the zoo. Whatever money is profited from anything goes somewhere, but at least it goes somewhere into maybe they need to shift money to the Congo. If we make an extra million dollars in events, that's an extra million dollars that they can use however they see fit. What I was thinking is that if someone was having a wedding, Mm -hmm. they might say, instead of a gift, make a contribution to the society. Do do people ever do that? Some people will do that. We have a large philanthropy team uh, for social and for corporate. We just worked with a great corporation last week at the aquarium. And because they're very mission-driven on philanthropy, not just their corporate efforts, they're very entwined with conservation and preservation, all the stuff. So our, our missions align very well. They did a nice little event last week, Mm -hmm. very small, obviously. And they also made a donation to our society in addition to what we charge them. Oh, nice. Okay. There are companies out there that, yeah, we're going to book your space because we need it for an event and it's a great space, but we also want to show you that we really love your mission and we give you a little something. But we have a huge corporate engagement team that deals with corporate sponsorship, corporate fundraising, corporate membership, you know, going back to educating our industry about what you could do at these parks. It's also educating them that, oh, the Bronx Zoo isn't just that place you went to as a kid. Yeah, It's owned and operated by the Wildlife Conservation Society, who actually works in 65 regions throughout the globe, helping stop global warming, helping save the elephants, helping, you know, the sea turtles in Madagascar. Like, and then they go, wait, what? Hold on, I'm just going to get married here. <laughs> now it's like, you know, so it's a lot to take in, but it's a I think when you can get that message across through good marketing, clear marketing, good communication, that's when you build that branding and tell that story that like, yes, it's an expensive location to get married, but it's historical, it's elegant, it's beautiful. Oh, and by the way, this is what we do on a bigger scale. It's a holistic kind of pitch in a way. That's why when you have parties, you have them for planners because you're selling the place. 100 years old and it's historic and it's landmarks and it's spectacular you have to change everyone else's perception of and the shark exhibit i mean i'm i'm going to that let me know when i mean you walk into that space and you're just like i could see myself having dinner right here and you're just looking at this oh could i get a guided tour would you take me yeah oh okay you just gotta come to brooklyn it's a deal especially now there's not that much traffic yeah that's a good point too you you'd be shocked you are the how could i put this in a totally complimentary way you're like the least uh, grabby trying to get the headlines, but everybody knows you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I take that as a huge compliment because I'm an event planner. I've designed events. I've produced events. 
but I feel like I'm more of the business operator, marketer, business builder. Like I can plan plenty of events and I'm good at it, but that's, Mm -hmm. I don't need to be that like Instagram person who's telling you what I did. It's like, I want to take this brand and build it. Yeah. And along the way, people know who I am or they don't. Doesn't matter to me, but the name does get out there and I do meet a lot of people and I love networking and chatting with people, but I'm not promoting my brand per se. I'm promoting the brand that I'm working with because I want that to expand. So you're not promoting Robert Severini. You're promoting the wildlife conservation, these five locations and the wildlife. Yeah. And before that, I was promoting another company and before that, but like, that's my job and that's who I am. And I want to be the business operator, like Wizard of Oz, the man behind yeah, the yeah, curtain. Yeah. Like that's I just want to hide behind the curtain. I want to do my thing. And, and that's it. So sometimes it's a bad thing because I'm not out there enough, but I still prefer it. We, we all fall into our area and our lane. And sometimes we all try to do a little too much and we get out of our lane and we're like, oh, I shouldn't have gotten involved in the flowers. Let me go back. You know, like, so it's, it's finding that area. My best compliment is when people come up to the singers. So is there a Doug Winters? And I go, he's right there. <laughs> but that's, and I'm not going to say names, but I get into that argument a lot because I think Raffinelli said it the way I'm saying it is the Brian Raffinelli brand isn't just Brian Raffinelli. It's the business he built. Yeah. David Bean is the same thing. Like their names are their names, but the brand is way bigger than just them. They are the, the people, but they've done such a good job at building the brand that you could be who you are and have four bands out there in theory, right? Because you don't have to be at every one of them. If you build up that brand to say, we are this. It's not just me. It's my name. My name's on the door, right? I think he said that. My name's on the door, but just because, you know, 20 years ago, I needed a name of a company and I didn't know what to call it. So I called it this. And both Beam and Raffinelli said that, literally used that expression. Yes, it's my name at the door. So that means that's got to stand for something. That's got to be quality control. And Raffinelli's the one who said the same kind of thing I was saying about my singers. Like he says, it's really come to a point where I have event producers Mm -hmm. working for me with the clients with my aesthetic, I'm supervising everything. But if they're in the room with a client and they've met them half a dozen times or a dozen times and I come in, all of a sudden a weird vibe comes in. Like the principal yeah. just walked in. We're in trouble. Yeah. We did something wrong or the clients. Uh-oh. You call for backup? You call for backup. That's a huge compliment. We're in the service industry, most of us, right? Unless we're party rent yeah. right? or somebody, something different. or We only have so yeah. much capacity right? I'm one person, you're one person, right? We all have capacity. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you have to scale your business in order to survive, especially in New York City. The economics, yeah. you can't survive yeah. if your band charges $5,000 a gig and every Saturday's booked, you lose money, right? Because it's yeah. not enough to survive. Yeah, right. So we need, every business needs to scale. And if you're not right. scaling, you're eventually going to close. So right. to take a brand that's your name and scale it, when it, the brand is your name, it's harder, not to take away from the management companies, but you're actually providing a more valuable service to the performers because you're not a management firm with a big overhead that's producing 50 bands. Right. You're paying that singer $1,000, where if they work for the management company, they might make 250 for the same gig. So you're providing a better value. The client pays less, the entertainer gets more, and everyone's yeah. happier. And there's also accountability. I always say to people well, the first time they call, so remember... I'm not going to promise you anything I can't deliver because I'm going to be there. I'm, I'm going to get the earful. Yeah. I have yeah. one last question for you. Having been a designer, having been a planner, having been basically everything from busboy to, you know, from mm-hmm. the bottom to the top of the industry, working with the very best, 
Do you ever second guess a designer or a planner and say, really, you sure you want to do that? I mean, I think subconsciously we're all going to do that, right? When, oh, why they play that song. I, I will say on a professional level, if there's something I truly disagree with, I have no issues voicing my opinion. But a lot of times when you're dealing with a really high caliber of professionals and partners, you just, you just look at them and go, you sure? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, okay, let's take this ride. I'm, I'm taking this ride with you. So don't, don't let me down. And you know, thank God. This goes back to having your name on the door. David Beam's not going to do something where it's going to be a guess. 1000%. And that's where when you're younger in the industry, you have, you have to earn that trust. Right. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us in this industry have gotten to where we are because of the fires we've had to put out and the, oh shit, how do we fix this? Yep. That most stressful 10 minutes of your life at an event 15 years ago has probably saved your business 15 times a year because you're like, oh, I've done this before. Don't worry. There's an ice place around the corner. Call him and bring the truck. We got ice. Don't worry. We're in the middle of the woods. There's a nice guy around the corner. Don't worry. I I did this before. It's the age old story with this old, old man. I I forget the whole story, but like the, the machine broke. They bring in all these people, hours trying to fix it. The old man comes in, he looks at it, he takes the hammer, goes, Dunk! it goes back to work. And he's like, that's $10,000. And they're like, but you worked for five minutes. He goes, yeah, but it took me 50 years to figure out where to hit the machine to get it to work. <laughs> oh, yeah, because we all have our experiences. And that's, I think, what makes a lot of us really great. You know, that education we've had along the way with each other. That's the best part about our industry. Yeah. It's, we might have the vendors that we work with a lot, mm-hmm. but we still intermingle with everybody. Yeah. So I might work with you on every wedding and then a new band comes in. And I'm like, I've never seen them set up like that. They set up perpendicular. What a, I never thought of that. Oh, yeah. right? oh that's true. You know, just, so when you work with different vendors, you get different, different ideas and different learning. Well, Robert, this has been amazing. We'll, we'll do, we'll do LinkedIn and Coney Island and the shark. That's right. Exactly. I got to get my guided tour of. Yeah. I'll save that for the end then. I'll give you the whole tour of all the other exhibits and the rooftop. We have a beautiful rooftop. We'll save, we'll save the sharks for the end. Okay, you got it. Thank you. You realize we've been talking for two hours and 20 minutes? It goes quick. It does go quick. I, I had somebody, someone asked me, what, what's the toughest event you ever did? I was like, I've been doing this 22 years. I mean, I don't even know where to begin with that question. <laughs> toughest event I ever did. I was like, toughest how? Pain, yeah. Most pain in the ass like, client or? Longest day, most stress, most calories burned, you know, like that's the hardest part for our, our industry is where a lot of us are go, go, go all the time. Yeah. And we, we do sometimes forget to take care of ourselves. And that's like a big part of our industry that I feel like a lot of people, you know, need to start concentrating more on their own well-being mentally and physically, because we, we do forget that it is a stressful job and that stress has to go somewhere. You know, whether it's hitting the gym or running. Right or talking to somebody, you have to find ways to alleviate that stress or else it sits on you. And then if you're working those 18 hour days and you're not eating, or you're eating right. leftovers at the wedding at 1130 at night, you know. I know, it takes exactly. Too. That's a, we could we literally have a part two of this thing about all that kind yeah. of stuff. Well, Robert, this has been great. Thank you so yeah. much. And yeah, definitely reconnect whenever you're done. We'll, we'll chat LinkedIn. We'll figure out definitely. some time to give me a tour. Right. We got to do the zoo and we got to do LinkedIn. You know where to find me. Thanks, my friend. You got it. Be well. Bye-bye. See you later. See what I mean? He is a truly great guy. You can find Robert at Robert A. Severini at LinkedIn, which seems to be his social media 
drug of choice. And on Instagram, he is under NYZooEvents. I am at Doug Winters, Inc. Please stay safe, stay strong. We will all get through this together, and I'll see you very soon. Bye-bye now.